it's Monday, December 17th, and I'm feeling like, eh, I'm not feeling it. I'll give it to somebody else. This is Cockatrice Nuggets with Rich Frazier, serving you up a heaping helping of RPG nuggets straight to your gaming table. Hey, I've got a Patreon now, so if I don't tell you about it, who will? I'll be doing super secret campaign notes, release updates, and early access to my zine and other stuff that I decide to produce. So check it out. Patreon.com forward slash Jerry247. That's J-E-R-R-Y 247. Don't ask me why. I've been avoiding recording for some reason, and I've had two sessions. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I, uh, I think uh, my session reports aren't interesting, and uh, I've been working a lot, so I don't have the time. And uh, I don't know. I've got a lot of excuses. So I thought I'd just uh, kind of jump in here on my drive home. I've got some other stuff recorded that I'll throw in. Um, I've got a couple call-ins that we'll take. And uh, Tristan from my gaming group reenacted his uh, recap that he posts every week on Facebook for us. So I had him record it. It's great. Hey, Rich. Tim Shores from Gothridge Manor. I just was listening to your podcast with Spike Pitt over there, and I just I just started listening to it, so I haven't finished it, but you guys were talking about initiative, and it got me to thinking kind of what I do. I just use a side initiative, and it's a static initiative. I just have them roll once, D6, and I have all ties go to the players. But the other thing I do, say the monsters win initiative... And they're going on. The guys with the high dexterity, you know, they have the plus one or, you know, plus two. I allow them, if they choose, they can move or do what they want before the monsters if they have a high dexterity. So that's how they kind of, if they want to do some strategic thing and the dexterity comes into play. So, and it seems to work really well. Uh, I, I, my players seem to like it and it does seem to take effect in the game. So just wanted to throw that in there. Hey, Tim. Yeah, I really like Side Initiative. It works really well. Um, the problem using it with 5th edition is there's a bunch of built-in individual initiative stats and bonuses, and it can make players feel like they... Um, springing Side Initiative in the middle of a campaign can make feel, players feel like they sunk that those points of dexterity um, in, into um, their character for naught. Um, but uh, I, I like the idea of rewarding a high dexterity player with the option to go before the monsters even go. Uh, before side initiative, I was rolling, um, I wasn't rolling initiative for my monsters. I was just doing 10 plus their dexterity stat. Uh, so there was, uh, m most of the time, the players are rolling above that. There were very few cases where one or maybe two players out of four combats would be, go, would go after the monsters. So, um... I think that's pretty cool. I might tie it in. Um, it does seem like an extra thing for me to keep track of, but I can always just ask, hey, who's got an initiative above 15 and move on. Uh, so thanks for the idea. Hey, Rich. It's Tristan. Long-time listener, second-time caller. I had some ideas for the warlock, as you call him, the, what I've taken to calling the white chocolate avatar. The uh, I think it's important not to downplay his significance because there was a whole session's worth of quest we did to partake in a ritual to summon him to the appointed time and place at that hour. The hour came, and he was the man, the man of the hour. He's quite important. I mean, you know, at least uh, thematically, I would say. Um, he, I bet he's got schemes, right? He's probably got plans for things he wants to do. I bet he'd love some help from the party. I think he should give us special quests, like, oh yeah, definitely go sabotage this other temple. It's Sarasota wills it kind of thing. Or maybe he's like, yeah, you know, I'll grant you great boons from my goddess. Just, you know, 
trade a little piece of yourself away. And you could take, uh, hang on, I'm going to send two messages for this. Who boy. Hey, Tristan. Looks like Anchor finally uh, capped somebody out on that one-minute call. Eager, eagerly awaiting that uh, second call-in, if you choose to do it. Anyway, yeah, I agree. Um, if, if the warlock himself isn't important, that ritual was important. I told you guys that that ritual would bring something good to Zobek. Um, the, the captain of the, the, the guard, it wasn't the guard, the captain of the soldiers that you talked to, um, it was the Order of the Griffin, maybe? Not the Order of the Griffin. Uh, Order of the Undying Sun. He, um, he said that this would bring a great boon to Zobek. And there were people outside of Zobek who wanted to stop that. So um, that there are some, some avenues that you haven't explored with that yet. But it's not necessarily important to the, to the core of this guy's meaning, right? And, and again, with this, this campaign, we're not doing stories. We're not doing adventures. We're doing <clears throat> what you guys want to do. So if you guys don't find it interesting, then you move on. You guys didn't find that interesting. We moved on. Um, but I, I got really stuck with this warlock because I, I did build it up kind of story-like, right? And and then I just kind of didn't have anything else to go on. Um, I've been sitting and thinking about it. Um, I've been I've been reworking my factions in the city, and I, I found a way to place the factions all behind gods that'll make it a lot easier for me to figure out motivations. And now that I've got gods with motivations, with their motivations, I can ex extrapolate what the, the, their minions are going to do, right? And he is definitely a minion of Sarastra. Um, so I, uh, I couldn't sleep last night. I woke up at 3.30, got up at 4.30, took a melatonin and fell back asleep about 5.30. So I had a lot of time to think last night. Uh, I re I'm reading Sly Flourish's, um, uh, latest book, uh, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. And, uh, he goes over fronts in that. So I went back and I read Dungeon World, um, the section on fronts and, um, got, Every time I read that section, I get a little better handle on it. So I've got a, a more interesting take on fronts now. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to rewrite my fronts um, and write some new ones in the case. I think the big misunderstanding was, for me, I thought a front was one of these things. A person, a situation, grim importance, and an eventual disaster. And what um, they were saying in Dungeon World was it's actually a couple of these things. Each front should have three to five dangers. Right? And each one of these things that I was thinking was a front is actually just a danger. So I've got three set up now. Um, and it, it might go out to five just because I have a lot of, um, a, a lot of factions at play here. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited on where this is going. And uh, I don't know if we'll see any of it Friday because we're still in the middle of a dungeon. Uh, but uh, yeah, I hope to, uh, I do hope to see it soon. From the diary of the late Mistress Arashi, dated Redleaf 96. I'm feeling nostalgic, diary, and not the good kind either. I don't know what brought her up, but I can't stop thinking about old Mithki Dayloth. Mithki was a tiefling in my neighborhood whose horns came in around the same time mine did when I was just a kid. We butted heads early and often, but only in the way young'uns do when there's nothing better to occupy their time. There's a portrait here of a tiefling woman. Her age is undefinable, and her red horns are swept up in the same gazelle goat shape as Arashi's. Her white hair is tucked up into a fat bun. 
Her yellow eyes blaze fiercely. Sometimes you say things you don't mean, without thinking. These things can haunt you for longer than most ghosts have got gumption for. We can learn from moments like these, but you can't let them rule you. So it was that many years ago I said something that wasn't that charming to someone I considered my best friend. My closest friend. Maybe closer than that. It's funny how I can barely recall what I said that day, but the way her eyes welled up stands out crystal clear. There are times I wish I could go back, unsay what I said, but now, as it was then, it's better to move on and hope the afterlife is a place where all misunderstandings are made clear. There was a simple sketch of a swarm of butterflies. You're not feeling sorry for myself, diary. Where were we? Ah, yes. After exhausting my patience with the shenanigans surrounding that blasted puddle, we elected to find somewhere to hunker down and recuperate. I awoke from my beauty rest to find we being accosted by a group of bugbears who wanted to know what we were doing in their home. Luckily, Molly was already midway through casting a spell to charm one, so I rolled over and went back to sleep. I would later learn that particular spell only lasts an hour, and we would likely have unpleasant company when it wore off. We sprung into action! relocating our base camp and laying a trap in the alcove where they'd found us originally. Illiman conjured an unseen servant and bade it hold a torch. We coated the floor in oil and waited. The bugbears came back up. They'd see a doorway emitting flickering yellow light, thinking it was us, and walk in to investigate. The spirit would then drop the torch and ignite the lot of them. We waited. One hour, then two. The torch went out. The bugbears did not appear, vengeful or otherwise. Not wanting to keep our hosts waiting, we collected our things and descended into the dungeon once again, only to find that the entire layout had changed right under our noses. There are many reasons for an entire underground complex to drastically change shape overnight, none of them good. I suspected time trickery, or a portal bound to the temple, or a phantom demiplane, or worst of all, a living beast capable of shape-shifting its innards, a gargantuan mimic. That said, I wouldn't find any treasure staying at home. Well... Maybe in the couch cushions. So we pressed on. Not without repudiation, mind you. Just about the only thing that could beat my innate sense of direction was a maze that could change the rules halfway through. Perhaps sensing my disquiet, Atticus had the bright idea to use his spider shape to trail silk behind us. This would warn us of a back attack and let us know if the dungeon changed on us again. Down a hallway in a room full of garbage, we were besieged by yet more centipedes. Now, it may or may not have had something to do with the big rune on the wall, but midway through the fight, Molly's sword glowed an unearthly green. Without warning, a bolt of light shot out of it on the backswing and bisected an extra bad guy bug. It'd be like that sometimes. A ways further down, we got the drop on some large rats that were guarding a potion of some kind. We were having a fine time squashing them when a decidedly dead-looking dinosaur man kicked down another door at the back of the room. His countenance was intimidating. But the way he triggered his own trap and got pelted with arrows was not. We noted his tattoo in the same shape as the glyph from earlier and beat him to a pulp. Having dispatched the terrible troglodyte, we happened upon more adventurous graffiti. The Covenant of the Eldritch Sword killed seven vampires here, it read. The party was initially rebuffed, fearing what might lie in wait for us if vampires were this commonplace. Thinking back on our own rather meager fare, I had my own ideas. Arashi had, uh, <clears throat> Arashi has provided a recreation of the uh, runes she left behind in the wall that day. They read, The sewer rats killed 12 goblins, 34 centipedes, one zombie, and y'all are full of shit. I sometimes forget not everybody has a perfect memory like me, diary. 
While scouting past the embellishment on the wall, Illumin happened upon a group of orcs who were hopelessly lost. Satisfied his introduction would not lead to slaughter on one side or the other, I butted in and drew them a map out. That place must have been bigger than we thought to bump into so many strange folks. We didn't get their names, but we were sure we'd be infamous enough for them to look us up. In the next room, there was a pile of loose-leaf papers and more of those ugly stone faces on the wall. We'd seen them in the previous iteration of this dungeon, in the room with that blasted puddle. It gave me hope that perhaps there might be more of that stuff deeper down. Hope springs eternal, as it were. Speaking of which, Dolan must have been feeling his newfound youth because he took a running leap at the paper pile and bonked headfirst in the chest of coins hidden there. <laughs> deeper we went until we bumped into more denizens. These goblins were dwelling in a defunct forge that had gone cold. Not wanting a fight, but curious about the forge, I attempted to parlay my way deeper into the room. The gobbos weren't having it, and I got a knife in the guts for my trouble. Catching myself against the forge, I went ahead and hefted the anvil in one hand, hoping this display of my strength would be enough to ward them off. Again, they weren't having it. Forgetting for one second that not everyone has super strength, I tossed the anvil over to the loudest one. I hoped this at least would give cause for surrender, but as their friend very suddenly became one with the earth beneath the anvil, they became even more incensed. You killed Billy, you fuck! I walked over and picked the anvil up again, trying uh, one more time to intimidate the remaining goblins by reducing their number. If you won't learn, then you'll teach, I said. A second goblin flattened, the remainder finally saw reason. Interrogating him about the surrounding environs proved fruitless. <laughs> He was a little too intimidated. I don't want to go with you. You killed my friends. He wept inconsolably. <clears throat> Illumin cast his uh, new favorite spell to speak with the goblin, it's, uh, the anvil itself. He asked if it wanted to protect the goblin, perhaps reasoning that the presence of something so provably strong might calm the goblin, or at least make him fall in line in a tribal dominance kind of way. However, when asked uh, what it wanted to do, the anvil replied, I want to kill more goblins. I've tasted blood and now I want more. I was once used to create, now I wish only to destroy. <laughs> Hesitantly, I asked the anvil if it had a name it would like to be called. The reply, of course, was Skullcrusher. Sensing the atmosphere had perhaps become too bloodthirsty for negotiations, I drew another perfect map for the goblin and sent him topside to become a farmer. Later, while Atala was picking a lock and we were trying to put the events of the previous encounter behind us, we had an unexpected visitor. A dark gnome snuck up on us and introduced himself as Gan. He warned us about making too much noise and told us to beware of something unspecified deeper in. Once the door came unstuck, there was some hubbub with a few rats and a strange clay man, during which Gan vanished from our notice. The clay man wasn't too big, but he did sprout a pair of wings and take flight, both literally and figuratively. He didn't seem too concerned with guarding what was left in the room. Once he finished giving those rats a good drubbing, the only thing to note was an old work desk filled with code books that Illumin delighted over. Perhaps I should have curbed his enthusiasm for reading weird things by this point. Or he might have uh, avoided that his fate. The very next thing of note we found was a large stone cube with a set of odd runes on one side. Illumin set to work deciphering them immediately, to his detriment. There are some things uh, halflings are just not meant to know. It's clear from his delirious grin and the fireworks fizz popping behind his eyes that something was terribly, terribly wrong. Well, more than usual anyway. I'll leave you there, diary, as my tea is finished steeping. Yeah, so there it is. And uh, the next week we cleared, oh, it was amazing. Um, I don't know, I want to say 15 rooms, 20 rooms maybe. We uh, we cracked through it. We did fast combat. Uh, I've been doing um, 
Theater of the Mind. Everybody seems to like it. I kind of took a poll on Theater of the Mind and side initiative at the end of the session. Uh, everybody seemed to like it. There was one person who had um, complaints about um, side initiative. And uh, really her only complaint was that um, her character had some specific things that uh, she could do in initiative, uh, which were um, like move her place around initiative. And definitely without, um, or with having side initiative, that kind of puts a damper on it. Uh, I want to take a look at it and uh, see if I can work something into it. Uh, she had another concern, but I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what it was, but it was really cracking, you know. Uh, they walked into a room that had a map of the place. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm just going to go go with mapping again, you know, throwing that map out there. I was, uh, I had Photoshop up and I was slowly revealing um, places that they explored and then they hit one room with a map. So I just gave them the map and uh, th that's when it started cracking, you know, we're like, okay, let's go to this room. Let's go to this room. Let's go to this room. And it just was done. It was great. It was really fast paced. Um, we we got super fast paced at the end. Uh, I kind of skipped some combat uh, that I could have had with them, uh, but I wanted to get them out of that dungeon and back to the city. I'm pretty um, pretty stoked to get them back into the city, find out what they do. Uh, they there's some talk about um, opening up a tavern, which is very exciting. I've got uh, dungeon not dungeon of the mad mage um, waterdeep dragon heist that specifically has taverns in there and um, Strongholds and Followers by Matt Colville, which has an establishment as a stronghold. And um, I think I'm going to go with those rules. I, I like them more. Uh, the I might combine them, though, because the Waterdeep Dragon Heist one has uh, a role to find out uh, how much money you made. So I'd probably go with a combination of the both. Um, the, uh, but, uh, but I may not. I might, might just stick with Matt Colville's because... Uh, a thousand gold um, every four months sounds pretty good. Um, that's about all that's going on on that front. Uh, I'm starting to write a couple blog posts. I need to get ahead on my um, blogging. Uh, I've got a couple of ideas uh, that I'm stirring around. I'll probably post those on my Patreon, not necessarily on my blog. Um, I'll post them uh, visible to the public though. I'm trying to get exposure to my Patreon and make it look like it's worth something, right? Um, I'm also trying to crank out a zine, hopefully to have it out by the end of January. Um, I am working on the hex crawl area. I still haven't, like I really like that, uh, how I released it in the first one where there were just seven hexes. I thought that was really cool. I thought that could be a really cool theme, you know, that I give seven hexes every issue and, um, then you can put them all together at the end, right? Uh, maybe every issue have a map of the collected hex map. Uh, but then again, I thought maybe I'll I'll do a bigger section. Um, I haven't sit, sat down and wrote it out yet, so I think that's what I need to do. Um, right now, I'm working on. I started working on the seven hexes that I was going to do, and now I'm moving on to. Or I, I decided that um, I don't really know where anything else is on the continent. Uh, so I, I whipped up a full map, or I, I had already whipped up a full map, but I didn't know what else was around there. And I knew there were going to be roads and stuff connecting different settlements, but I didn't know exactly where those settlements were going to be because I'm doing it kind of randomly each each seven hexes that I do. Um, 
So I, I decided to just go through and start rolling all the hexes, figure out where, what's where, uh, so I can get some settlements in. I'm about halfway through that. Um, I'm gonna get some settlements in, throw down some roads, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to uh, get cracking on that. But I, like I said, I've been working a lot, haven't had a lot of time. Christmas is coming up. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff on my plate. So uh, I don't know when I'm gonna get another podcast out. Um, I'm hoping to get a recording of the tavern chat that I did um, this weekend um, from one of the guys who I recorded with. Uh, Todd, I think he was from Frog Gog Games. Um, maybe not. I think he, he did some stuff for Frog Gog Games, and that's who he primarily writes for now. He recorded the session, but he wants to mix it down because um, it's just raw audio right now. So if I put that up, that'll be a pretty sizable episode. I think we were on there for two hours, uh, talking for an hour and a half, and then we opened it up to questions at the end. Um, yeah, that's what I've got going on, and uh, hopefully it won't be another two weeks or three weeks or however long it's been before I do another one of these. So uh, talk to you later, guys. That's all the nuggets we got this week. If you want to reach out, you can leave a voice message in the Anchor FM app, website, or send a file to my email. You can email me at cockatricenuggets at slackernerds.com or leave a comment on my website, slackernerds.com. This podcast is available wherever fine podcasts are stored. So let me know how I'm doing by leaving me a rating on iTunes or your preferred podcaster. Thanks for listening.